0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. I wanna invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, it's in the last fourth of your Bibles if you're using a hard copy, and uh, if you want to use one of the black Bibles that's nearby in the seat rack, it's on page 932. If you want to turn there, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 today, and I want to talk to you about what matters most in life. You know, again, there's so many things that are screaming at us to say, "This is important. This is important. Do this. This is important. Know this." What really matters most in life? And as we talk about this idea of love, uh, I just want you, you can already see on the outline, we're gonna talk about understanding genuine love and practicing genuine love. In this chapter, those of us that may never have gone to church have heard of 1 Corinthians 13 if we've been at a wedding sometimes. It's actually known. And so as we talk about 1 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter, I want to talk to you today about what it would look like. And um, if you're following along, how can I be sure I give myself to what matters most in life? How can I be sure I give myself to what matters most in life? And um, the series sentence that we've had from day one, as we've been moving through this letter, is this. It's up here on the screen. Would you read it with me, please? Paul shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. And you may say, like, where do you guys come up with this? Do you look in books, magazines? Like, where do you come up with this stuff? Let me just tell you. One day we were in a planning meeting, months before we started this series. We were throwing out sermon titles. And I said, you know, right before chapter 13, Paul uses this phrase, a better way. And so uh, here it is. I've listed it there. If This is the verse before our chapter we're going to read, okay? So would you read it with me in that first gray box? I've listed it in the message paraphrase. Some of you keep competing for so-called important parts, but now I want to lay out a far better way for you. He says, you know, some of you have gotten all interested in different spiritual gifts and wanting to be important in the church, You're competing, jockeying for position. I want to show you a better way. And what he does in chapter 13 is he talks about understanding genuine love and practicing genuine love. And we're gonna look at that in just a moment. Um, By the way, if you'd like to get better at this, if this is something you'd like to keep growing in, we have offered the Right Now Media subscription. Some of you use it. And if you ever are interested in something outside of Sunday morning, going a little further, here's a a title that I found in Right Now Media that I actually looked at a number of the videos that were available. They're just short video uh, vignettes that you can think about this more. It's called Love Like That by Les Parrott. Love Like That. And again, if that's of interest to you, you can write that down and look at it later. But now let me just talk to you about why I need this message, why we might need this message. Uh, This last week, uh, I went with several of our team members on our staff to a conference out in Pasadena, California. And when we got there uh, the night, uh, we got there at nighttime. And so I said to the person at the hotel, I said, hey, I have seen the Rose Bowl Parade uh, and a lot of times on TV, or I've watched football games at the Rose Bowl Parade Stadium. Can you help me? Is, it, is that near here? And she said, no, it's not a walking distance. But she said, I said, is it like two or three miles? She said, yes. I said, good. She said, just make sure you go west. And she gave me a number of streets that I could take to get there. And um, so the next morning, I got up and I thought, I'm going to go for a run. So I went uh, out of the hotel and I turned right and I ran for three and a half miles. I'm looking for it the whole time. I'm just looking and I'm going, She said it was within two or three miles. Like, where's the Rose Bowl Parade, you know, Rose Bowl Stadium? And uh, so now i got to run all the way back. So I run all the way back, and I get there, and I think, I must have gotten my directions wrong or something. So I looked it up on Google, and she she said, she had said to me, go west, I had gone east. (laughs) So that's why I never saw it. And uh, in fact, I was moving away from it, okay? (laughs) So the next morning, I corrected that, went west. It's amazing when you follow directions and I got there in the dark and then just seeing the big marquee on the side of the stadium with that big red rose lighting up the early morning and there it was and I got a chance to experience it now why do I bring this up do you remember the children's game you're getting warmer you're getting colder where they would hide something in a room, have someone go out of the room, and then that that person would come back not knowing where something was hidden. And the whole rest of the group was all about, you're getting warmer, getting warmer, you're getting cold, you're getting very cold, you're getting colder. Remember that? And the whole idea was to help them find it by using those kind of cues. I want to tell you that the reason why we need this message is because it's possible that we already think we understand what love is. We already think we understand the directions God's giving us. And in fact, we're actually moving farther away from it. When in fact, he wants to help us get warmer and warmer at this instead of getting colder and colder, instead of moving farther away, actually to move towards the goal. And so as we look at this this morning, would you pray with me that God will use this time we have together to help us move in that direction? Now, God, I thank you that the Apostle Paul wrote these words. And we ask that as we study them, that we will understand that you inspired them to change our lives. That you inspired them because you want to help us get warmer and run in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. And we just thank you that you're a God like that. And we pray now that you'd be our teacher. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so understanding genuine love let me just walk through this a little bit and talk about how it's outlined and how it might apply to our lives first what's the issue going on the issue as we've seen the last couple weeks is that some people in corinth are overrating the place of spiritual gifts some people are overrating the place of spiritual gifts we talked about this a couple weeks ago that in a way god designed his people his body to be uh, like an orchestra But if we're like a guy in the Geico commercial that starts playing the triangle and think it's all about the triangle, they'll never ever operate the way we were made to. Last week, Steve talked about the fact that we have a common purpose as a body, that God, we are now his people that have come to know Christ and trust in Christ. We are now his people in the world. And he's made us members of his physical body. We are his physical body in the world now. And we have to learn how to work together to relate rightly. And so this whole subject is that Paul is saying, look, here's the issue. You guys understand about spiritual gifts in the sense that you're excited about them, but the way you're using them is not helping you be the body of Christ. And the way that you're thinking about knowledge is actually puffing you up instead of helping you move towards each other. You're getting colder, you're getting colder, you're not getting warmer. So he says, now let me show you a better way to get warmer. You're getting warmer. He wants to help us. Okay. Now notice this, that to appreciate the text of 1 Corinthians 13, if you're following along, note its context. To appreciate the text, this section we call 1 Corinthians 13, note its context. Some people, when they read 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, they think that Paul was just saying, you know, just excuse me for just, let me just tell you what I've been learning about love. And it's kind of a diversion. No, he's saying, let me tell you what I'm learning about love because it applies right here to the problem, to the issue. That's why he says, I'm going to show you a better way than just being excited about spiritual gifts. I want to show you even a way to exercise those spiritual gifts, to take in that knowledge, to look at each other in the body of Christ and relate with each other. So I want to show you a better way. And so If you've never seen this before, chapters 12 and 14 talk about spiritual gifts. They talk about the way we gather to worship together, 12 and 14. We'll come back to that next week. But someone has said that 1 Corinthians 13 is the meat between two pieces of bread. This is the heart, this is the meat of how we exercise our gifts and gather together and operate together as his body in the world. And so as we look at this, let me just tell you that it's divided up, this chapter is divided up in three different parts, really. And the first one, I've put numbers out to the left in case you're wondering how to make sense of that. The first one is the necessity of love, verses one through three. Nothing can take its place. First, he talks about the necessity of love that nothing can take its place. There is no substitute. It is absolutely indispensable if you and I are going to live this life with Christ. We cannot, we cannot do it unless we understand and practice the genuine love that he's going to talk about in this chapter. So the necessity of love. And this is really important because, again, when we think about this, we may say, well, I think that some other things are just as important. And Paul's going to argue, no, no, no. You need to know what matters most in life so that if you put your energies into something else, you'll miss it. This is, this is absolutely essential. It's the necessity of love. So let me read verses 1 through 3 and uh, listen to how he talks about it. And, and, and let, me, let me stop and say one more thing here. When Paul goes to talk to them and correct them, approach is everything. So it's not really intelligent to talk about love if you don't have a loving approach when you correct. So how does Paul do this? If it was me, here's how I would have done it if I was speaking to the church at Corinth. You, 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 you. But notice what he does. He shifts from the second person, you, to first person, I. I. And what we learn here is that Paul is actually saying, look, I'm not better than you. This is my story. My story is that I took in knowledge and it made me proud. I was morally perfect in so many people's eyes and it made me more hateful. And so this is my story. And I'm not looking down on you fellow Corinthians. This is what God wants to teach all of us. So he uses I. Notice how he does this. So he starts out, if I Speak in th- tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just a lot of noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, like that's going to the extreme. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If you're following along, he says this, if I have the greatest gifts, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I have the greatest gifts, but don't have love. And he names everything that would impress us. Talk about as a Christian, would you like to have all knowledge? Would you like to have all insight, all wisdom? Like, wouldn't that be dandy? And he's just saying, if, even if I had all those, the greatest gifts, if I don't have love, in the way that I look at people and interact with people, I'm nothing. Someone has put equation, I think Chuck Swindoll put this equation like this. He says, look, if I get everything else right in life, minus love, I'm nothing. For whatever else I accomplish, what matters most is learning how to practice this kind of genuine love that I'm gonna talk to you about, that I'm learning too, and it's what really matters. Ron Dunn, the late Ron Dunn, His message was really helpful to me as I studied. And I want to read to you something he he said. What would you say about a man who has the gift of prophecy, who understands all mysteries? I don't know about you. I get tired of understanding in part. I want to see face to face. Wouldn't it be wonderful to understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and all faith? What would you say about a man like that? Well, maybe he doesn't love as he ought. Maybe he doesn't have the disposition he ought to have. But after all, he has the gift of prophecy. After all, he understands all mysteries. Let's beat a path to his door so we can glean from him. He has all faith and can remove mountains. What does it matter if he's rude to the waitress in the restaurant? What does it matter if he's not gentle with people? What does it matter if there are a few imperfections? What does it matter? Well, God says he's nothing, absolutely nothing. Not a little bit, he's absolutely nothing. I think to myself, that's right. That does not count because he didn't understand what matters most. And it's the same for me, Paul says. It's the same for you. And so as we think about this, he goes from talking about the necessity of love and how important it is to the characteristics of love in verses 4 through 7. The characteristics of love if you're following along. That's the second movement we're going to see in this chapter And really, the characteristics of love are describing not a Hollywood love, not lust, not manipulation, not getting my own way, but love of another kind, if you're following along. The characteristics of love that he's going to describe are love of another kind. This is not love like maybe I thought. This is not, (laughs) if I thought I understood how to get to the Rose Bowl, uh, he's going to explain, I did not understand the way I needed to. It's a love of another kind. You want to, know, want to know what I mean? It's a love that even can love its enemies. It's a love that can even love people that don't love back. That's a love of another kind. Jesus once said, if you love those who love you, what more are you doing than others? Anybody can do that. You don't need even God to do that. Even the mafia does that. He says, if you want to know what love is, it's a love of another kind. So if you're following along, More than a thought or feeling, genuine love is a verb. More than a thought or feeling, genuine love is a verb. What do I mean? Going back to our English class days, we all know that verb is an action. Therefore, I can't love if it's just a thought or a feeling or a word. It has to become active. And so love is not something, I'm going to guess that on Good Friday, Jesus didn't feel like being crucified. But he made a determined decision of his will to demonstrate love. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet his enemies, while we could care less about God, he sent his son and he gave him to us because he loved us. He had made a decision. It's a decision, not a feeling. It's not that feelings can't accompany it, but if we wait till the feelings come around, we may wait all day. You can still love, Jesus says, with this kind of love if you choose to. So if you're following along, genuine love is self-denying and self-giving. Genuine love is self-denying and self-giving. You know, when Jesus first called people to follow him, he says, if you're going to come after me and be one of my followers, you have to deny yourself. And we're all going, why? Why? That's like, come on. That's not really an attractive invitation. He's not saying that because you couldn't possibly ever be good enough for me. He's saying, because if you're unwilling to do that, you're just going to keep bumping into trouble all the time. You're never going to be able to love like me. You're going to, it's always going to be about you. So can you deny yourself? And Jesus did that. Jesus doesn't ask us to do what he didn't first do himself. He denied himself the rights and glories of heaven, but he didn't just deny himself. He denied himself in order to what? Give himself. And when I'm willing to deny myself what I want, what I think is good for me, all that kind of stuff, and not hold on to that, then I'm able to give myself. So this is the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus has. And again, we can see this in lots of pictures. I need to keep moving, but I'll just tell you that on the night before Jesus was crucified, do you think he had a lot on his mind? And he gets to the upper room and the disciples are all arguing over who's most important. This would not be a moment of love among the disciples. And what does Jesus do? He takes off his robe, puts on the towel, and he kneels down and he washes their feet. And he says, do you understand what I've just shown you? He says, now I'm gonna ask you to follow me, follow me. This is what love looks like. He doesn't say, hey, I'm not, I don't wanna wash anybody's feet. What do I want? He denied himself and he gave himself. And that's what he wants us to do. One last thing. We can love like this only if we have the spirit's help. We can love like this only if we have the spirit's help. I told you before that I may think I know how to get to the Rose Bowl. I may think I got it you know, all that figured out. I can figure out warmer and colder on my own. But here's what I'm learning. I can't love like this in my own power, but I can love like this and you can too with the Spirit's help. And Romans five tells us why this uh, passage talks about how the Spirit can help us and what he's done. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, he didn't just forgive us on the cross. He eventually sent his Holy Spirit to now live in us, that we could actually have his own spirit. Jesus could be that real to us and live in us. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So what a love. So now, what are the characteristics of love? If you want to turn your notes over, and I want to explain, as we walk through these quickly, I'm going to ask you to, in your mind, or actually with your pen or pencil, to make a check mark by any of these that stand out to you while we're walking through. Because at the end of the service, instead of having you put your notes away, I'm going to actually ask you to to come back to this back side of the notes again. And we're just gonna spend time just letting the Lord talk to us about how we might practice this. So again, let me talk to you about these 15 characteristics of genuine love. What Paul does when he does the characteristics of love is he gives seven positive characteristics of love, what love is, and eight negative characteristics of what love is not. He does it first by showing two positive, then eight negative, and then comes back to five more positive ones again. But as he does this, Think about these words. And if you wanted to, you could actually put Jesus in front of this. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not. And sometimes some of you have told me that you've heard other teachers say that if you want to know maybe where the Lord's putting his finger on your life, put your name in front and see which ones stand out. And you go, like that. And you'll know that maybe God's saying, here, I want to help you get better. I want to help you get warmer at this. Okay? So here we go. What love is, it's patient. It's patient. The old King James version of the Bible says it suffereth long. That's pretty concrete. It means that when you're patient and you love with patience, you hang in there with people, even when you're misunderstood or mistreated, you don't immediately write them off. It's Stephen, when he was being stoned, still praying for the people that were mistreating him and not acting like they're a waste of space in the world only, but to be patient means that we don't immediately react and write people off. To be kind though, is also, this goes together. Someone has said, it's so interesting that he just starts out by just saying, love is patient and kind. You wanna know what love is? In in a large part, love is patient and kind. Many of us may say, okay, I can be patient, but while I'm being patient, I'm getting angrier and madder. So if they only knew how much I'm putting up with them right now, Okay? So we're not getting, becoming more loving. We're actually just becoming more amped up inside. And so in order to be patient and kind, it means that we actively seek their goodwill, that we actually want their well-being. And to do that in sometimes even in the smallest ways. Jesus says, if you give even a cup of cold water in my name, that's important. Someone might say, How how do I be kind to someone who's difficult for me? I have just a simple suggestion. Listen, listen. Sometimes listening is is part of being patient and kind. Other times it's doing something like maybe if someone's washing the dishes, it's picking up the towel and drying them. It may mean just saying, could I pray for you right now? Or there's all kinds of little ways, but you know what I'm talking about, patient and kind. Uh, There was a man uh, that my brother, uh, uh, traveled with, he's worked in the Philippines now for 25 years, and his name was Martin Burnham. He was a pilot. And he and his wife, Gracia, in 2001, right after 9-11, were kidnapped by the Abu Sayyaf, another extremist group there in the Philippines. And for nearly a year, they were in captivity in the jungle. Often got caught in crossfire of all kinds of danger. But each night, they would chain Martin and Gracia to a tree so they wouldn't escape. And Martin, every night, would say to his captors, I'm praying for you that you may come to know the love of God. And then during the day, he would offer to carry things or help in some tangible way if he could. He eventually would be killed in a crossfire while his wife, Gratia, was carried off to safety. And when Gratia went back to some of those captors years later, some of them had become Christians, and they said, one of the ways we saw The love of God was in your husband when he prayed for us and when he carried things for us, even though we were his enemies. Interesting, patient and kind. Second, uh, third, does not envy. So now it goes to these eight things that love is not. It does not envy. We've heard the phrase green with envy. What is envy? Envy is wanting something that I don't have, that you might have. And envy is also, when it's darker, stages is not happy that you have it and happy when you lose it. So actually hoping that you'll fall, hoping that you'll fail because you make me mad or envious that you have it. Envy is what got Jesus arrested. It was out of envy they arrested Jesus. And so envy is a dark, dark thing. And when I'm envying, when I can't be happy for someone else, that's not love, no matter what I say. Next, does not boast and is not proud. These are linked together. They're related. Does not boast is the external outward expression. Is not proud is the internal inside expression. Literally, the phrase is that if you do not boast, you're, you're not a windbag. The idea is you're not a bragger. You don't boast. You don't have to like draw attention to everything you accomplish and everything you have. And so uh, some people say, well, I don't, I don't struggle with that, but If you don't struggle with that, but on the inside you're going, well, at least I don't boast like they do. Then on the inside, you're actually becoming proud that you don't boast. And that's an internal thing that realizes that you're now, you're not moving any warmer or closer to that person either because you actually feel superior to them and it's pride. And so when you and I have those kind of spirits, we need to see that that way, even the way we think of ourselves matters. Love is not rude The idea here is it doesn't dishonor somebody. It doesn't belittle them. This thoughtless treatment, being inconsiderate. Like I mentioned earlier about treating a server at a restaurant. Am I condescending? Am I rude? Because if so, that's not love. And they can feel it. They know it. Our tone can be unloving. Notice that when we're not rude, what we do instead is we care about the interest of others. But when we're rude... We really don't care about their interests or what it's like to be them. It does not seek its own way and is not irritable or touchy or really related to, does not seek its own way, really is the heart of this whole thing of love. Remember we talked about uh, love being self-denying and self-giving. If I am so busy seeking my own way, one translation says love does not demand its own way. It's this idea of grabbing. If I have this approach to life, I cannot be a loving person because I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight all day long to get my way. And when I'm doing that, whether it's quietly or obnoxiously loud, then what's going to happen is if someone tries to get their own way that doesn't give me my own way, I'm going to be irritable or touchy. Grumpy every time. You ever notice that about yourself? And so this idea of irritable or touchy is not easily angered, not thin-skinned, literally. People have to tiptoe around us And so often, because we're wanting our own way, we get super upset if we don't get our own way. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs is a bookkeeper's term. It's the idea in our language of doesn't keep score. What it means is not that I forget what someone does to me. That's almost impossible, especially if it was dastardly. But what it means is I don't keep going over the books and reviewing it and trying to find energy in that. And so if God was to look at the books of your life, would he see a list? Warren Weir'sby said he once met one of the most unhappy people he'd ever met, and he found out later that this guy actually kept a notebook listing all the things that he felt people had done against him. When you and I wrestle with that, that's holding grudges. And again, I'm not suggesting in any way it's not a battle. But when you're moving warmer towards love, you're willing to let go of those things in order to look at those people with some kind of hope or grace. Robert E. Lee was a great general for the South in the Civil War. And after the war was over, several years years later, he was going through a town and a lady from the South there uh, invited him over and she took him out to the front yard where a tree had been severely damaged and twisted by the artillery of the Northern Army. And she pointed to it and said, look at what those Yankees did to us. And Robert E. Lee, after a moment of silence, just said humbly to her, ma'am, cut it down, move on. And he was saying that because he wanted her to be free to love again. And sometimes we can't do that unless we're careful. Let me also suggest this next thing is that does not delight in evil and rejoices with the truth are also related to each other so the last one of the eight does not delight in evil rejoices with the truth reminds us that love has to have boundaries if anyone's hearing me say that love is just nice all the time and doesn't matter what anybody does to you you can just let them take advantage of it in any way that's not what that's not what Jesus did Jesus only let people you know torture him one time And that's because it was the will of God for him to be sacrificed on our behalf. But when they tried to push him off a cliff, did he let him? When he was going, did he always go to places where, you know, he wasn't invited? No. He oftentimes was, he had boundaries with it. All I'm trying to say is just know this. We do not rejoice when injustice goes on. We do not say evil. Yeah, that's okay. It's not a problem. No, we don't do that. But we rejoice when people get it right, when justice is done, we want God's will done in the world and love aims for that. Love challenges sometimes if it's not helping people become their best. So along with that, notice this is that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's this idea that, that love hangs in there. It keeps going it has this idea that this is gonna be something you wanna give yourself to because it's what matters most. So always protect literally means to put a roof over. If the rain's falling on someone and you offer them an umbrella or you put a roof over that so the rain doesn't have to keep falling on them, isn't that a gracious thing to do? And again, always uh, trust means you be, always believe the best about someone as much as you're able to that you believe in giving second chances to people and not just writing them off. And when you and I hope like that, it's a powerful thing, that's that next thing, that you want the best outcome for somebody, even if they've hurt us, that we want God to still reach them, even if they seem like a hopeless case. And so always perseveres means to keep on practicing love even when it's not returned. So how do we understand this? How do we understand this? These are the characteristics of love. Again, if any of these stood out to you, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But let me add one thing before you turn your notes over, is that really there's one more verb that he lists at the beginning of verse eight, and that's love never fails. That's the 16th verb. And in a way, love never fails, which leads us to this last idea on the front of the notes if you want to turn your notes over, and that's the permanency of love or the permanence of love, both now and forever, in these last few verses, he talks about the permanence of love. He starts by saying, love never fails. In other words, here's why you should give yourself. This is why you want to keep getting warmer, getting hotter, because this is going to make sense, not just in this life, but when everything else is passed away, love is going to make sense forever in glory. It's going to be something you're still doing into eternity, for all eternity. So give yourself, start practicing now, knowing that it's something that's going to be worthwhile both now and forever. So, verses 8 through 13, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, you know that gift of prophecy you're so excited about, Corinthians, they will cease. Where there are tongues, you know that gift of tongues you're all excited about, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, man, you're excited about knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see. I I just think of this. This is good news, what I'm about to read. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love if you're following along, when we see Jesus' face, love will still be the greatest of all. When we see Jesus' face one day, love will still be the most important thing that matters most in that day. Self-denying, self-giving love like we've experienced in Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. And he has treated us like that. So I wanna just talk to you about practicing genuine love. How can we bring this home? How do we not walk to our cars today and go, well, that was nice. How do we practice this? How do we keep getting warmer instead of colder? First question I wanna just ask. Let me ask three questions. Have I experienced God's love so I can pass it on? This is a question I'm asking you to ask yourself. Have I experienced God's love so I can pass it on? Surely by now you know that you could go to church your entire life and never experience God's love. I've met people that they know a lot of the Bible. They've heard all the right things, but they can't in all integrity and honesty say they've ever been ambushed by the love of God in a way that changed them, that they knew it. When I was younger, there was a question that used to be asked in the Quaker questions. When, if ever, did you first know that God loved you? Would you be able to point to a time? Because friends, you can't give what you don't have. And the good news of the gospel is that God chose to love us before we were ever lovable, before we were ever interested in him. And that is the good news. And he did that not just so that we would receive his love, but so that we would pass it on. And so, do you, have you known the love of God? If you haven't, I just want to tell you, here's the prayer I'd pray. God, would you let me know your love so I can learn how to pass it on? We love, First John 4, 19 says, because he first loved us and he asked us to pass on what he gives to us. The second question is, now we know and see only in part, but am I getting warmer? And I said, am I getter warmer, didn't I? Well, wow, that's brilliant. But am I getting warmer? Am I getting warmer? So some of you, when you, in just a few moments, when we turn the notes over and you look at the back where maybe you start it, or maybe you feel like God's putting his finger on it, you're going to be tempted to try and manage that. You're going to be tempted to hear a voice that says, you're such a failure at this. You should be way better at this. You're going to hear all those voices. And here's what I'm praying you hear. Because Paul says this in a moment of humility. He says, look, I've, I've told you, I've been caught up To heaven, to see things I can't even talk about. I've been given revelation, wisdom, insight, truth that I'm now sharing with you. But even with all that, even though I have the truth, I only know in part. That time hasn't come yet. So you and I will never love perfectly on this side of heaven. But are we on the way? Am I running towards the Rose Bowl Stadium or not? And am I getting warmer? And am I interested in getting warmer? that is possible. And I want to say to every one of you, you can do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so can I, but is that what we want? Is that what we want? And the third question is who and how, again, if you could keep your notes out, please, who and how do I need to love as Jesus has loved me? Who and how do I need to love as Jesus has loved me? Now, let me get really specific. Here's what I mean. And rather than just going, Jeff, I know a lot of people. Like, how do I narrow that down? Here's the way to narrow it down. Who is a person that's difficult for you to love? Do you have someone come to mind? Do you have someone you go, mm, oh my goodness, that person irrita.-hmm. Whoever that is. Okay. Here's what I'd suggest. Remember we gave you that prayer sheet to pray every day this next week, Monday through Saturday. Here's what I'd suggest. Put that person's initials next to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and say, Lord, show me how to pray for this person the way you want me to see them, the way you want me to treat them, the way you want me to think about them so that I can get warmer. That's an idea, okay? Now let me just uh, invite you to turn your notes over to the back. And uh, as you think about this, Um, I want to tell you which one stood out to me, okay? And it was, is not irritable or touchy. I could have also said patient. But I went with irritable and touchy for this reason. And here's the story. This is how recent it is in my life. A couple weeks ago, um, I was um, planting grass seed in our yard because we uh, replaced our driveway this uh, summer and uh, it tore up our yard quite a bit. And so we're in the process of trying to get back to a nice presentable yard. And so it's been a lot more challenging and difficult to even get our soil back the way it was and stuff like that. So I'm trying to plant seed and all of a sudden a 10 year old neighbor shows up in the yard that I have never met before and they're happy, like too happy. And they're like clingy. And so they're like, you know, hey, hey, like that. right up there. And so Trish and I are trying to plant this stuff and they're dancing all throughout the yard. And we're going, hiya, hiya, you know, like that. And so I'm thinking, look, you don't understand this 10-year-old neighbor, but this matters what I'm doing. And so I remember thinking, uh, I am here. For, this is irritating me. And this kid's cute. <laughs> so like, what's my problem? Like, I do not have the heart of Jesus right now. And so I remember after a couple minutes of just getting impatient and irritable and touchy and having to say, "Uh, please, please, uh, if you could just walk, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, stuff like that. I just said, Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And I sense that the Lord says, I want her to know my love for her. And I want you to be part of it. And I want you to look at her differently instead of an interruption. And I want you to see her as a person I made. And I want your tone to be interested. I want you to listen and ask questions and not just keep going because the grass is going to pass away. But she's going to live forever. And I remember thinking, God, help me get warmer because I was getting colder. So take these next couple minutes. And ask the Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do with this difficult person in my life? Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.